0: You are listening to a message from SoundWords. To find information about our ministry, please visit our website at soundwords.org. You can also download our free app from iTunes or Google Play to access more great sermons. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The first major section of the book that goes through chapter 4 deals with divisions, the conflicts, the disagreements, and that all the way for every person who has a position that they're taking, oh, this is the major thing. And it really is a diversion from what is the major thing for the church, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our allegiance to him our desire to honor him and the truth that is consistent with that and the divisions that exist are contrary to that so Paul is dealing with it personalities come involved he uses himself as an example of Paul's as an example he'll mention Peter all good men But uh, you fail to understand they are preaching the same message. So the divisions are contrary to God's plan. It's a denial before the world of what God has accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. In verses 5 through 9 of chapter 3, we looked through the first nine verses. But in verses 5 through 9, we noted six points. We pulled those together in summary. And let me just mention them to you as we begin our study today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we begin with verse 5. The Lord gives certain servants to be instruments through whom some come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that was in verse 5 of chapter 3. So you see where the attention gets drawn here. The Lord gives certain servants. There's one Lord, there are many servants. And he's used some of them to bring others to faith in Christ. Secondly, God's servants have differing responsibilities, but it's God who produces the growth. So the initial salvation, the growth in that salvation, ultimately comes from God. So God gives out the responsibilities. So why would we be dividing over it? We're to be united in our commitment to the Lord and what God is doing, not dividing among the different responsibilities given. We recognize that. We appreciate it. But it's God who produces the growth. Otherwise, nothing really is happening spiritually. Number three, it's not the servants who are significant but God who causes the growth. That's in verse 7. It's neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. That's it. So we can appreciate the diversity God has brought to, to existence in the church with the differing gifts, but it ought to join us together because it's God working to produce the unity and accomplish what only he can. Number four, God's servants work together to one end. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. That's it. What are you working toward? You have your own area of giftedness, area of ministry in the body. Somebody else has a different area of ministry in the body. We appreciate one another in the diversity and the different times. God uses different ones in a special way in our lives. We appreciate that. But we don't want that to become the focal point. The focal point is God used them to accomplish his purposes. We're all working toward one end is the goal. Number five, rewards will be given to servants according to their toil not their success. And that's the last part of verse 8. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We put the word success in there, but it's his own labor. External success, there is some of that that comes at different times. There are times it doesn't. Paul ministered the word at Corinth and established a church that's great you ministered the word in Athens before he came to Corinth and there's no record of a church established was Paul not effective was he wasn't faithful in his service no God causes the growth and that's true as we exercise that gives us unity and harmony in our working together so the last point the workers and the church all belong to God We are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So no matter what analogy, what metaphor, what picture you're going to use of the church, a field, a building, it's God's working. And as we are each used individually to accomplish God's purpose together, the field, the building, the field is developed, the building is built, And all the glory and all the credit goes to God. So, some of you work faithfully and get very little credit. Some of us work maybe even less faithfully and get more credit. But ultimately, God is the one who is working in and through all of us. Now, using two analogies in this section, he used the field, then he used the building. So he's talked about the field in the first part of chapter 3, using the picture of the church as a field, and the different workers, are all contributing what God has gifted them to do, but God is producing growth, or in the building. Now, beginning with verse 10, he's going to talk about the building, the church as a building, These are metaphors, pictures of the church. You could picture and talk about the church as like a field. Now you could talk about it as a building, and that's what he's going to do, move from talking about the church as a field to a building. Because what he's doing, remember, is dealing, there's divisions in the church at Corinth that don't belong there. We're working in God's field, and God is producing the growth. And now he's going to show in the building, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And it's God who's constructing the building, and we are instruments he's using. So part of what happens, and it happens subtly, is we get our eyes off of what God is doing and begin to focus on what man is doing. And that leads us further and further, unless there is a correction made away. And that's what happens over time to churches, denominations, and so on. Pretty soon they are a religious structure, but they are really not a biblical church any longer. So he's going to develop the analogy of a building. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me, that's foundational to everything. We are servants of the living God, we're nothing special in and of ourselves. It is God's grace that enables us to be successful and effective in a work that he has gifted us to do. He's sovereign. Verse 5, the last part of it. Paul, in verse 5 of chapter 3, says, What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, note this, even as the Lord gave to each one. And when we lower our focus to the servant, Then, if we don't correct that, we get further and further away from what God is doing. And pretty soon, the servants become everything, and we have a religious organization called a church, but it's not a church in the New Testament sense any longer. We need to stop and refocus again, and that's what Paul is doing. According to the grace of God, which was given to me. Paul has been gifted in a way that not many others have been and down through history have been, but he was just a servant. We are benefiting 2,000 years after Paul has passed off the scene by studying his letter, but it's not all about Paul. It's all about the God that Paul served. The truth that we're looking at in the Word is the truth that the God that Paul served, revealed through Paul. So Paul says, according to the grace of God. Grace, by definition, is something undeserved, unmerited. The grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder. A wise master builder. We get the English word architect from this Greek word. It's transliterated it over into English. The idea here is he was entrusted with the responsibility of getting the building founded and constructed properly. Well, boy, I wish we had a Paul today. I wish Paul was here. No, we don't need Paul. Because the God who made Paul a servant is still working today. So we're studying what God revealed through Paul and implementing it. And we struggle with some of the same things. That's why for 2,000 years, this letter has been an important part of the church because it's a guideline for us. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. So he's using himself and he used Apollos As examples, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, there are books written, multiple books written on how to build a church. Paul says very simply, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to Corinth and I preached. Jesus Christ was crucified. He was raised from the dead. I preached the gospel. So we could, by the grace of God, he drew some to salvation. When they heard that message, we could establish a church and build a church out of that. This is the foundational work that the Apostle Paul did. We think, well, we need to do all these things. Well, we need to be sure we're being biblical each step of the way. So he laid the foundation. He's writing back to Corinth now. Some five years after he established this church, he's writing to them. And what? I laid the foundation like a wise master builder. Another is building upon it. He didn't feel like the work's done. Now we just keep reiterating No, I laid the foundation. I was used to bring people to salvation in Christ, through faith in him. We're back to chapter 2, verse 2. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to Corinth and preached that message. Some of you responded. Now, another's come and built on it. And when Paul left Corinth, as we noted in the book of Acts, I believe chapter 18, Apollos came, and Apollos ministered further truth and built upon it. Paul didn't view it was done. Now you're saved. I've had people that have attended Indian Hills over the years that have said, well, I'm saved. That's all I care about. I'm going to heaven. That's all that really matters. It's not all that really matters. And we're in a circle here. Because when you start telling God what really matters about his work, you need to back up and say, maybe I don't really know the God of the Bible. Maybe I just have some information about him and I'm acting on that, but I really don't know him. Because how can I tell him? He tells me, I don't tell him. So another is building on it. Listen to Romans chapter 15, verse 20. I can turn, there. It's only a page or two back. Romans chapter 15, verse 20. I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Then he quotes from the book of Isaiah supporting that. He didn't do anything original. He did what God originated in the salvation he provided in his son. He preached that. Now, it's not though it's done. And we're going to build on that The builders will be no different than the one who laid the foundation. He's one who by the grace of God given to him. I laid a foundation, another is building on it. Each must be careful how he builds upon it. So we don't want to lose sight of the vision. And this is an ongoing problem. The letter to the Corinthians was recorded in our scripture as part of our completed scriptures so that we would learn from it we've had divisions as a church the many years I've been here some of them maybe I caused some of them were caused by others but the fact is what happened when we had division well number one we have to look is it really doctrinal many years ago I've shared this with you I took a whole week out the secretary made appointments and people came to see me through the week Why they were leaving and but they always said well it's not doctrinal It's not doctrinal. It's not the teaching. Now, we don't want to debate about that. Well, then what is it? And the Lord moves people on. That's fine. But we need to be careful. Each man must be careful how he builds upon it, the end of verse 10. That's crucial. We must be careful. If the Lord is leading you, this is not the only church in town. He may lead you out of town to another church and another place. But I want to be careful that I not lost my perspective because if I do, then I leave and I take that lost perspective with me and pretty soon I'm further away from the truth than when I left. I want to be careful. I'm leaving. I believe God wants me in another work. He's going to use me there. Well, Fine. But we want to be careful how we build upon And this is the emphasis of verses 10 to 17 How you build upon the foundation That's it How do you build upon this foundation? The foundation doesn't change You can have a religious organization called a church But it's not a church if it's not built upon the foundation Of the preaching of Jesus Christ His death on the cross His payment in full for sin Salvation by faith in Him alone. And we have many churches, we have churches in this city who are no longer built on that foundation. They're just a religious organization. Each person must be careful how he builds on it. So we're only talking about genuineness here. Now, Paul will recognize in some of what he says as we move through this section, he doesn't know ultimately whether he's dealing with believers or unbelievers. But he's writing, addressing them as believers, realizing that some may be just reflecting the fact they just went through the motions, but they don't have true understanding. Each man must be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let me read you what one person wrote about this. Paul does not mean that it would be impossible to construct a community on a different basis, only that such a community will not be the church. So if you're not building on the foundation verse 11, which no one others uh, no one can lay other than Jesus Christ. It's his. He is the foundation. So we have quote churches today they name the name, but they're no longer building on this. They have departed from it. Roman Catholicism and much of Protestantism is not built on the foundation that has been laid by God for the church, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. This is the problem with God's people. From the Old Testament as well as the New. The church does not begin until Acts chapter 2. But the people of God in the Old Testament were the nation Israel. And they had a similar problem. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. And you have it in the margin of your Bible. Let me just read it to you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be ashamed. That's the foundation. Ultimately, for the nation Israel, it was established by Christ, but the nation Israel rejected him, so they are set aside in judgment. And the church begins in Acts chapter 2. There'll come a time when the church will be removed from this earth at the rapture. And then we have the seven-year tribulation where God works with the nation Israel again to bring them ultimately to their knees to trust in Christ as their only firm foundation. But... Isaiah had to deal with a nation in rebellion against God. Anytime a prophet came up in the nation Israel, it was a sign of spiritual decay. Just keep that in mind. Anytime you're reading one of the prophetic books of the Old Testament, it's a sign there's spiritual decay going on among the people of God. The apostles now pick up, and we had prophets for the church, The word of God comes. Here we have the first four basic chapters after the introduction deal with what? Division in the church at Corinth, which was to be a unified church under the authority and leadership of God. But they had divided among the different personalities that they became enamored with. Verse 12 of First Corinthians three, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man 's work will become evident. so we 've got the different metals, different materials, some of which are metals, some of which are not there 's one foundation, verse eleven. so when you move away from that foundation. Verse 11, Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, you're just dealing now with a religious organization, and there were many of those in Paul's day. But the problem is now the devil is working as such to do away with the foundation but still call it a church. And all it is is a religious organization that is not the church, for you can't lay any other foundation. So we're only talking about the church that is really built on it but the problem is now when we're building on it the devil doesn't quit he begins to fragment it so that you don't have a stable building in an effective building so if any man builds on the foundation so we're building on the foundation so we're talking about true believers here they're building on the foundation of verse 11 the only foundation therefore the true church If any man builds on the foundation, you can either build with gold, silver, precious stones, so things that are precious and enduring, or you can build with wood, hay, straw, the end of verse 12. The contrast is between the two kinds of material, the one which is valuable, the one which is worthless, the one which can endure the test of the fire that's going to come, or the one that cannot. So then you can have something that starts with a good foundation, but you build a worthless building. If you're building wood, hay, and straw, because it's going to be tested by fire. Well, then wood, hay, and straw, it might make a decent-looking building for a time, but it's not going to endure. It can't pass the test. So... We are dealing with those that are valuable materials, those are invaluable materials. That's the point of verse 12. You can build on the foundation. This is the scary thing. He can be founded on Christ, but we can build something out of wood, hay, and straw. Verse 13. Each man's work will become evident. Each man. So there is a corporateness and there's an individualness, individual aspect to this. There is the church, which is the body of Christ, manifest in local churches like the church at Corinth that Paul wrote to. But each man's contribution to the development of that church, each person will be individually evaluated as what they contribute. Each man's work will become evident, manifested. This is, you read the commentaries on it. Here's what one said. Even where the foundation is Jesus Christ and him crucified, there is the danger of later shoddy workmanship and inferior materials. So we want to be careful. Oh, yes, we're a church. Yes, we believe in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, payment in full for sin, faith in him alone. That's what saves you. And I've, I've said, I've had people that in the past that have attended Indian Hills and moved on. But, you know, that's, that's good enough for me as long as I'm going to heaven. It's not good enough. And when you start telling God what's good enough, you need to back up and look again and say, have I really placed my faith in the foundation? Because something's wrong here. Oh, yes, I've... I've I believe what God said. I believe he's provided salvation in his son. And that's all that matters to me. As long as I'm going to heaven, I I don't care a lot about rewards. I'll be going to heaven. Can't be bad, right? Well, that's right. Well, then that's good enough for me. It's not good enough for God. God simply says it makes a difference. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Each man's work begins and ends, verse 13, as we have it. Each individual going to be tested by fire. I don't want to build a building out of straw when I've been told that the testing the process will be to set it on fire. I want to build something durable. Gold, silver, precious stones. The idea, the precious lasting. I don't want to build something temporal and transitory. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. This is not to determine your eternal destiny. That's if you're building on the foundation. If you don't have this foundation for your life personally as well as corporately for the church, you have nothing. You can attend here. You can attend here, be born here, raised here, die here, have your funeral here, and spend eternity in hell. Nobody said going to a church. You have to be placed into the body by one spirit. We have all been baptized into one body. Without that, you have nothing. That comes through personal, individual faith. Now I'm responsible individually for the part I contribute to the growth of the body. That's the each one. Each man's work will become evident in verse 13. Because it will be tested by fire. This is the rewards. Back up a few pages into Romans again. Romans chapter 14. Verse 10, why do you judge your brother? Are you again? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And the misuse of the idea of judgment here. There's a correctness because Paul is using the correct view of it. But it's using proper materials. We're contributing. And we realize we're contributing to the growth of a building God is building. Paul says, I'm the wise master builder of the argument. Like he comes, here's the plan, here's the building. Oh, well, after I've decided to use this and we can get by with more inferior materials here. We've had buildings that over the years have become disaster. And they say, well, yes, they overlook this point. You watch television programs that sometimes will point out a bridge or a building. And they show a building collapsing. And, they well, they found out, well, they used an inferior. They didn't build it according to instructions. That's what we're talking about. Now, you can build on the genuine foundation but you can build with worthless materials. That's the point here. He's not talking about unbelievers who have infiltrated. He'll mention the possibility, but the reminder, verse 11, no man can lay a foundation other than one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if you're not building on that, you're just here. But we want to be careful that we are building on the foundation and then we're building with quality materials. And it's the day of judgment. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. In verse 13. So that's the judgment seat where we're going to be judged for our rewards. Oh, I just as long as they go to heaven, that's all I care about. Well, God says I should care about something else. Oh, I don't care what He says. We say, I wish you wouldn't even talk that way. Well, what are we saying? All I care about is if I've trusted Christ, that's good enough for me. Well, God says he's going to bring us before him and put what we've done now as his children to the test. And you can pass the test and be saved and come out with nothing. Oh, well, I'm going to heaven. That's good enough. Well, you know, in one sense, That sounds good enough. But the other, God says it's not good enough. So I'm back again to the basic question, who's in charge here, God or me? I'm picking out what I decided I like about what God says. If any man's work, verse 14, which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But note the end of verse 15. He himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Now I say, look, as long as I'm going to heaven, isn't that the goal? Well, yes, we share with the unbeliever. If you're going to go to heaven, you must place your faith in Jesus Christ. But there is more to it. God is not done. He's building a building. The church and each part has something to play. So when he saved you, he put you into that building to contribute something. And if we're not careful, you multiply ineffective materials, you have a shoddy building, you really have nothing to reward. So we're talking about rewards here. We're not talking about initial salvation. Because the end of verse 15 says, he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire you each man will be tested to receive a reward according to his own labor verse 8 said each one each will receive his own reward according to his own labor then you come down to the verses we're looking at in verse 15 and he will receive a reward on top of the initial salvation perhaps the area of ruling in the kingdom and whatever. The details aren't unfolded here. One person put, it's possible to build the church with such soddy materials that at the last day you'll have nothing to show for your labor. But there's people that are saved. And this is where now we get into a point, I don't know whether I'm dealing with believer or unbeliever. I don't need to know. Paul addresses them according to the commitment they've made. They've expressed, but what will be the outcome? He doesn't ultimately know. He can warn them, but ultimately only God can do the judgment. So verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So that's the balance. With verse 14, if you have things that remain after the fire, you're rewarded for those things. If you don't, your life has been a waste, but you're saved. Well, that's all that matters to me. Well, Wait a minute, wait a minute. We're back here. God hasn't told me every detail. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It makes a difference. The foundational difference is you're going to heaven or hell. But now that you said, well, I'm settled, I'm going to heaven, now I'm contributing. God has made me part of his body, the church that meets in this local place. Well, what am I contributing? Well, I come on Sunday, and I hope the service's not too long. I got things to do, and I'm out of here. And basically, I show up, my faith is in Christ, and that's good enough for me. We'll realise on this day when we stand before the beam of seed of Christ, it was worthwhile. It did make a difference. It seemed like all I did was grind it out and I was faithful and I worked and I labored. And I didn't get much credit for it. And we'll find out, well, yeah, but God was using you to accomplish in his building what he wanted done. And you're rewarded on that. We're back to your are rewarded for your labor, not your, quote, success. He's come down through verse 15 and the warning. Now he's ready to address verses 16 and 17. Do you not know? This is the beginning. I think there's 10 rhetorical questions in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know? This is something... You should be aware of but you're acting like you don't it's like you say to your kids when they're little and they do something don't you know any better you're not asking them well no I don't well that just gets them in deeper because of course they're supposed to know better it's a rhetorical question it's just a question that's driving home a point so here is his question do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. What don't you understand here? Oh, yes, I'm a child of God. I place my faith in him. I'm part of what God is building then. I am both a contributor to the development of the building, and I am a beneficiary of the developing of the building because I'm growing. You are a temple of God. Now, he's talking about the church here. Later, he'll, in the Corinthians, he'll talk about your individual body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that ought to affect your thinking about morality and how you conduct yourself. But here he's talking corporately that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. We are something important. We are what God is doing in the world today. We as a local church in this place. Just like the local church at Corinth was. It's not the church at Rome. But it would be very much like the church at Rome. And they could benefit from the letter to the Romans. As the Romans could benefit from the letter of the Corinthians. Because what? There is one God. One Lord Jesus Christ. One indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of each individual believer. And in the life of the body that is meeting in this place. The Spirit of God dwells in you because you're the temple of God. Come over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is talking about the church here. And verse 19 of Ephesians 2, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints, are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In the picture here, basically the same as we had in Corinthians. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing to a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So that's the same picture. You are the temple of God. The spirit of God dwells in you. We're built on the foundation. We're studying the book of Corinthians, written by one of the apostles of the church. The apostles and prophets help lay the foundation, but Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Similar picture, just a little different emphasis. In Corinthians, Paul is just talking about the foundation. The cornerstone is the key element in determining the layout of the foundation as it originally was in Paul's day. And now you're being built. So come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Spirit of God dwells in you, in you as the church. Now here's where we get, now we're going to move to possibility of unbelievers. Because he says in verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, the church, the place where God now dwells, the Holy Spirit dwells in each individual, he dwells in us as the church, meaning in this local place. So verse 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are so now this becomes very key what part am i playing in the development of the body we've realized some people are believers in jesus christ they're saved their eternal destiny is secure but when it comes to being evaluated for rewards, it's going to be burned up but we also have those who are now these are not outsiders as much as insiders They destroy the church. They're unbelievers who have infiltrated and dressed themselves, so to speak, to look like believers. But really, when it comes down to it, they're doing something destructive. And this is a transition that occurs, and we see it in some of our major denominations being Methodist background. I could speak to that. What happens? Well, you get infiltrated, and then pretty soon the infiltrators take over the building. And now it's no longer on the foundation because we've moved it over here. And it's just doing good things and getting together, singing songs. You know, the Lord's not going to send people to hell for eternity. What kind of God would do that? And pretty soon we're just building a religious organization. The Spirit of God dwells in You, the church. So that's what the true church is. Now, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Well, wait a minute. I thought it said that you would be saved. Verse 15, he himself will be saved. Now, he says, God will destroy him. And that's where we get into now. Some of these, they've crossed the line they're destroying the church. Well, they're revealing their character, They're subjects of destruction. True believers will never be destroyed by God. But there are people who can be part of the church, and if we're not careful, their influence begins to spread. But they will be judged by God. You can read the history of some of our denominations and individual churches within them and I was reading a Methodist since being a former Methodist. I mentioned, but from the middle 1800s. Boy, that guy could have preached at Indian Hills. But now, over time, I shared with you when my parents got saved, not through the Methodist church, but the Methodist church pastor evidently was a believer. He sat there and cried with them. Oh, I know what you're saying. Oh, I know where you're going, but I can't do it. I I have my retirement here. Well, so be it. So there are those who are true believers who are not contributing to the growth. There are those who are not believers. There are those who are believers who are not contributing to the growth. There are those who are not believers who look like believers who are actively destroying the church. Only God can sort it out. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy. It's the temple of God talking about the church because the spirit of God dwells in the church, dwells in the individual. He also dwells in this local body. And that's what makes the ministry of the word, his truth, effective in lives. Paul doesn't sort out who is who. He doesn't say, now this person is someone doomed to destruction. I don't know that Paul knew. He just a warning here. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. They've crossed the line. Here, you're not building with poor materials. You're undermining the purpose. Ultimately, God will destroy him. Because I can't tell. There are people that have left here. I think they're solid, good believers. And the Lord leading them to another church. There are people I wonder about. Were they really saved? Are they really, did they really know the Lord? Ultimately, the Lord decides. Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. Let me read you something what one commentator said before we move on. Paul assumes that the community can be destroyed by insiders, not by outsiders. The dividing line between poor building and destruction is not clearly marked out. Making Paul's initial warning to beware how you are building all the more pertinent. If what you're doing is destructive, what makes you think you can fit under, well, I'm saved kind of idea. So verse 18, verses 18 to 23, he contrasts the world's wisdom and God's wisdom, which was the subject through chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 2, verse 16. He talked about the world's wisdom and God's wisdom, and what is subtly happening, and it's happening in a major way, and it happens down through history, and it's happening in this country, that the world's wisdom is drawn in. We don't deny to start the truth of what God has said, but we act like now we have wisdom that we have learned from the world, and we're going to utilize what the world has, and we're going to bring it in and mix it. Not denying, we believe everything you believe, and I've been in conversations with a number of people over the years. I was in a graduate program at a seminary. I finally went in and told the dean, I can't stay here. Oh, you fit well. No, but I hold different understanding of God's word than you. Oh, that's fine, because we appreciate, we need the differences here. And I finally told him, I said, you don't understand. I'm afraid if I stay, I'll become like you. And, you know, to the very end, he was very nice, gracious. Well, let me just tell you, your place in this program will be open. If you change your mind in the next year or two, you just let us know. You'll be welcome back into the program. You go away, you think, is it me? Boy, he was so nice. No. And now that organism has gone much farther away from the truth. So, verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. Be careful. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he may be, must become foolish so that he may become wise. And we're back to what he talked about in chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 2, verse 16. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And that's where verses 16 and 17, you bring up the issue. Yes, I'm saved. My faith is in. But there is a question. Are you really part of the destruction of the church and what God is doing? So Paul says, let no man deceive himself. If any among you think you are wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. And you'll note among him, let no man deceive himself, if any man among you. So we are talking about now the problem and the challenge to the church doesn't come from outsiders who might delude them. It comes from within. And people who claim to be believers and are accepted as believers, but they're not. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. I mentioned the seminary I attended for a while. They didn't deny the basic truth back in those days, 45 years or so ago. Now they're more open in what they reject of truth. What happens? If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, you think you're so smart, you need to bow and become foolish. I'm displacing placing my faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. You're raised in this church. Well, you know, I'm smart. Oh, wait a minute. You have to become a fool from the world's perspective. He might become foolish, so he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. From Job chapter 5, verse 13. We won't turn there for time. And again, and now he quotes from Psalm 94 The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men. Danger. You know what happens is you get these smart, intellectual, people who come in who claim to be believers and they begin to make an impact and an influence. Yeah, I could see. And we bred that with our message of Christ will be much more effective. And pretty soon we don't realize that what the wisdom of the world does is it ultimately destroys the wisdom of God. I mean, how do we get major denominations where they are today? Oh, well, they should have recognized that. Well, it comes more subtly. It's like the devil tempting Christ. Well, doesn't the scripture say, cast yourself down and he'll make sure you don't hurt yourself? Well, yeah, the scripture does. Let me think about that. No. So the devil knows how to use scripture in an abusive way, in the wrong way. So we want to not lose sight of that. The wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. And he quotes two old times, because this is not new. The working of the devil is not new. His plan is not new. And he's willing to take time. So for this church, the church at Corinth, the church at Indian Hills 2,000 years later, I'm not going to just bring somebody in who denies all these basic doctrines. Of course not. Subtly bring in and wed the two. You know, world's got some wisdom here. We need to adopt the wisdom of the world. No, we cannot. And as soon as you think, well, now we fit in the world, and the world admires us. world doesn't admire fools. You have to become a fool in the world's thinking. Well, we can have both. So let no one boast in men. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Kephas, another name for Peter, or the world or life or death, or things the present or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. What don't we understand? What do we want? We want to be successful. We want the world to admire us and look to us and say, there, yes, oh, wait a minute, you belong to Christ, Christ belongs to God, all things belong. Ultimately, I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what the world has to offer. So the subtle ways that these things infiltrate in, we've seen it in major seminaries having... Uh, graduated from seminary many years ago. Uh, I can see. Would I recommend, men to that seminary now? No. There were three seminaries. The Bible school I recommended. But the Bible schools have uh, all folded up now, pretty much. But what about the seminaries? That, well, I don't think they'd recommend them. Because why? Well, you have to be viewed by the world as wise or your degrees are not worth anything so then we have to wed the wisdom of the world and some men come through that all right. some men don't so the deterioration continues trust that we as a church will stay true we'll stay faithful to the word the world may not admire us the world may say well if you made these adjustments you'd have a lot more people well Only God can change a heart. And when he changes a heart, he changes the focus. We have to be careful that we don't begin to make adjustments because we have the truth and we're not going to deny the truth. We won't deny the truth like the seminary I mentioned, like the seminary I graduated from uh, over time, adjustments, changes, and the evangelical schools that were recommended when I graduated from Bible college, They wouldn't be recommended today. And we have another seminary, and then it begins to roll over. So they start another, and we're trying to fit into the world system with a system that is totally contrary to the world. That strikes you where you are. Maybe you come to this church because you think, well, my parents come here, I come here, and I'm fine because, you know, I come to this church, and I don't do bad things. Well, have you really ever recognized you're a lost sinner without hope in the world, doomed to an eternal hell, and Jesus Christ's death on the cross is God's testimony to you that unless you place your faith in him alone, you'll be condemned. Well, you know, I I believe basically what my parents believe. That won't get you to heaven. You have to believe, whether your parents believe it or not that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid the penalty for sin. Now we have to be careful to build on that as the church and to build on it and to build on it and to build on it. I have no... If Christ doesn't come for a 100 years, I don't have any expectation this church will be where it is today. You know, I would like to think it would be, but by and large... The pressures of the world are relentless, but we take it a step at a time. I think the board has been concerned about that with a new man coming in to fill the pulpit. I'll be here checking on him with you, sitting there. We trust we will go on. For how many more years? we we'll leave that in the Lord's hands. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for the provision of your word, a word that is unchanging, because you are the unchanging God. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. We want to be true to your word in good times, in bad times, in difficult times, and in times of blessing and ease. We just pray your blessing on the days ahead. Pray that uh, we will be faithful with your truth. Pray for Jesse as he makes the adjustments to come. Lord, we pray your blessing on his ministry of the word and uh, our ministry together. As we serve you in the days ahead, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sound Words, a ministry of Indian Hills Community Church. Make sure to download our app from iTunes or Google Play for more messages like the one you just heard. If you would like to contact us, please email soundwords at or give us a call at 402 483 Four five four one.